Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hi everyone and welcome to the College Admissions Podcast with your hosts, Anna Wren and... Mark Hofer. Hi, Mark. Hi, Anna. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? We're good. We're really toasty out here in Seattle today. And toasty is always wonderful for Seattle. Uh, we're also really excited to welcome our guest, Craig Cobain, PhD, is the Executive Director of the Mahurin Honors College at Western Kentucky University. He built and has led the MHC for 15 years. While building the MHC, he created the Office of Scholar Development, which has helped over 550 students earn over $10 million in national scholarships, which examples include the Truman, Fulbright, Goldwater, and so on. Welcome, Craig. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We are so excited to be talking about honors with you. Uh, It's a pretty important thing and very near and dear to my heart. So I look forward to the conversation. So, oh, go ahead, Mark. Craig, one of of the things that... uh, we're lucky enough out here in Seattle to have the University of Washington and and our honors program is something that is very well promoted here. Um, and we know that uh, you know this topic more than anybody that we're going to come across because you live it and breathe it. But I think one of the things that's really interesting is we haven't actually discussed this in the number of years that Anna and I have done this podcast and it's really timely and becoming more timely. So we're really excited to have the conversation. I couldn't agree with you more. So let's, I guess, first talk about, um, because first of all, everyone this past admission season was like really nuts, Um, which I think is why we wanted to remind families out there that there are some other options and opportunities in honors colleges and programs. So first of all, could you tell us a little, could you do a little intro into what that is for our, our listeners that don't know what they are? Yeah, honors programs and colleges are specialized Uh, tracks within a academic department, an academic college, or at a university that provides enhanced, unique, interesting experiences for, yes, high-achieving students, yes, gifted students, but also students who are just looking for a different kind of experience. Um, And uh, and what you can find is you're going to have a supplemental or augmented curricula You're going to find special co-curricular opportunities. There's going to be unique scholarship opportunities. And almost all of them have some sort of, you know, um, different recognition for their graduates. Uh, And that's sort of at a meta level. I can sort of drill down and sort of some differentiations at each level if you're interested. Understood. One of the things, uh, just a really high level question. Do all schools have honors programs or honors colleges? Um, the vast majority of them do, but not everyone does. You tend to see them clustered. Uh, if I can use the states of Illinois, Florida, and Kentucky as examples. Um, once the first, well, most will have honors programs. And, and again, we can drill down into that. But once the first university moves to a, a true honors college, it is obvious that, that they have a strategic advantage over the other universities. And then typically every single other u- public university in the state transitions their honors program into a college. You saw that in Illinois, you saw that in Florida, and we've seen that here in Kentucky. When I I arrived here in 2005, there were no honors colleges in Kentucky, and most of the honors programs would have been used, been described as sort of web pages, you know, (laughs) there so the university could say we had one. Um, And then when we became an honors college in 08, uh, quickly the other universities saw we're getting out recruited because of this honors college. And now I believe there's five honors colleges in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Wow. I never even considered that from an admissions perspective before that that would help you guys obviously attract um, an, a very talented pool of applicants. Yeah, I think, you know, the strategy that we've used and most honors colleges use the, the, the high end, the students you think about going to elite private institutions or to quote unquote an honors college that they're great recruiting opportunities for them, but it creates a halo effect 
for a lot of what are sort of really solid students who may be in that top 15 to top 35% of ACT, SAT, you know, composite scores in the country who may not necessarily be, you know, the top uh, honors college applicants, but it tracks them to the university. And that's the heart and soul of a public university's recruitment base is, is those very good, but not sort of outstanding students. Yeah. One of the things that it sounds like in just in that 15 years, the um, proliferation and growth of honors programs and colleges has been quite extraordinary, especially in that area. And from a leadership standpoint, since you've stepped into that role and, and developed the school there at Marin, um, I, I have to ask a leadership question. And that would be, is there a different mission of the Marin honors program, honors college? Um, from that of the, the college itself? Yeah, the, the, the university, you know, we're a public, regional, comprehensive university serving South Central Kentucky. And uh, we're not open access, but our, our job is to serve a lot of first-generation students, uh, low-income students. Again, we're a, a regional public institution. The Mahiran Honors College, although we have a lot of those students, our mission is to simulate uh, the equivalent of a top 25 private liberal arts school. So if when I'm working with my team and we say, you know, what's our goal for the incoming class? What's the goal for percentage studying abroad, going to graduate school, winning nationally, mm. nationally competitive scholarships, whatever metric you want to do, we go to U.S. News and World Report and we benchmark ourselves against the top 25 private liberal arts schools in the country. So that's unabashedly what we are emulating. I'm not saying we are, but that's what we are emulating is a top 25 private liberal arts school. And that's what you will see in most of the, if I may be so bold, the higher end honors colleges in the United States. Yeah. So what kind of students you had said, like um, you mentioned a few, but you know that for the ACT range, but what other types of students do you think would benefit most from like an honors program or an honors college? Obviously your high achievers, your students who want to go on to medical school, law school, graduate school, um, students who are looking for not just a job, but they want to get that first position that's going to fast track them into leadership. Um, you know, they're looking for a career. And, you know, obviously that's the bread and butter of the students who apply to us, the high achievers. But, you know, in my 15 years, you know, the students who get the most out of honors and have traditionally not been um, tar uh, target is a bad word, but not been recruited into honors colleges are those first generation, are those low income, are those underrepresented minority students? And if I can take a second and give you sort of a comparison, I have students in the college, both their parents are professionals, a physician and an attorney, and they're, you know, their honor scholar, their goal is to be a physician or attorney. It's going to happen, whether they're in honors or not. The, the family just is in a situation and, and to help their child make their, their educational dreams come true of being a, a doctor or an attorney. Um, it's the students who are first generation who need a bit more of wraparound hug, who need to be introduced to ideas uh, about studying abroad, applying for national scholarships, doing a full-time internship in D.C., New York, Chicago, wherever, and need help finding the funding. Those are the students who benefit the most from an honors experience, the sort of um, return on investment. Yeah, the exceptional student coming from a parent with that are both physicians, they're going to become a physician. Did we play a role? Yeah, probably a small role in helping that take place. But that student who's first generation, that's where we're, we're seeing some really incredible magic. Um, and with the downplaying of the uh, importance of ACT and GPA in honors, which has been going on for decades, um, those students are very, very competitive in, uh, in honors programs and honors colleges. Yeah, I that, love that you said that, Craig. I, I say that because I'm a first gen. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And so like I know when I read pieces and they talk about like schools in the top 20 or 30 of U.S. News and World Report, like, you know, how it does make more of a difference for first gen kids or low income kids. And so it's nice to hear that not only those schools are not the only options, right, that there's also amazing honors programs that could potentially be local that could make that happen, too. If, if I can kind of go on down that road, unabashedly, when we were setting up and designing what we wanted for the uh, for the Honors College that later became the Mahiran Honors College, 
we saw our mission as social justice. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, your audience needs to know that Kentucky is a poor state. It's one of the poorest states in the country. And we do have gifted and high achieving students. And the data showed that there was a lot of bright flight. Those really high end top niche students tended to leave the state for their higher mm -hmm. education um, and oftentimes putting themselves into significant debt coming out of undergraduate. Um, and all the research shows if you leave your state for your undergraduate, the likelihood you come back to your state later is, is much less than if you get your undergraduate um, in the state. So we wanted an honors college that would allow students who are looking for a really great educational experience, again, the equivalent of being at a top 25 private liberal arts school, but wouldn't have to pay the same amount. Um, and so for that, it meant that students who had the ability to get into an Ivy League or a junior Ivy League or a top 25 private liberal arts, but didn't have the financial means could still have that equivalent experience and sometimes get it all paid for, you know, through scholarships or come out with very little or no debt. And we saw that as really, you know, uh, important to equity and, and access in our state. Um, so, you know, a lot of times when we design these honors colleges, it isn't simply about academic excellence. We're trying to do other societal, um, societal goals with them. Craig, my, my wife is a financial advisor, and I think one of the things that's really rubbed off on me, and we have really exciting conversations, by the way, and uh, <laughs> um, education and finances. Um, when we talk about uh, college and uh, a lot of the families that she serves as well, we tend to look long view. And I think honors colleges, much like you just defined and, and basically explained, if you can minimize that debt in undergraduate, in a really high quality education undergraduate, that is debt that you don't have to carry over when you're looking at graduate school. And I think that is becoming much more of a, a part of the puzzle that students and families really have to pay attention to because, I mean, graduating, you know, with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt before you even have a job uh, that's becoming more of an issue. And I think uh, the honors colleges are definitely filling that niche where you can get that incredible education as an undergraduate, not have to spend that crazy amount of money if your family doesn't have it and still set yourself up for success in graduate school. So yeah. I'm, I think it's very timely. I, I think there's one other aspect of that. And, and a lot of what we do is enrollment management. We want to make sure that you know, we have students from across the university in different socioeconomic categories and represent all parts of our state and out of the state. So, you know, a good chunk of the, the families that we recruit, they're getting into private liberal arts schools. And I'm just going to make up some numbers here. And let's say that private liberal arts school is $50,000 a year. And they're an excellent student and they get a 50% scholarship. And now that, you know, so it's only $25,000 a year. And the family has been saving you know, for 18 years yep. for their child to go and, mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, we can, we, it'll be a stretch, but we can make this work. I will talk to them and say, you know, you have a good chance that your child can come to the Huron Honors College here at Western Kentucky University and have almost no debt. Um, and it's going to cost you maybe nothing per year, that $25,000 a year you were getting ready to invest in another institution. What if you took 10 of that each year and allowed your child to do a uh, semester study abroad in China yeah. in the summer, yep. do an internship in Washington, D.C. Second year, the next 10,000. And you have had a much better four years and your child is much better educated. You've saved 15 times four, $60,000 yep. and you've got a better outcome. And, you know, families light up when they, when they see that kind of uh, opportunity. And obviously the student goes, I mean, I can study abroad every year. Yep. <laughs> yep. I think the other thing is that sometimes, you know, and we can talk about all the perks of an honors college or honors program because we do know they vary from school to school. But I know for some of them, for example, they do have like opportunities are presented to them. And so like even at, let's say, a top liberal arts school or top university, 
it's, you know, the opportunities exist. And I say that having attended one, but it's not like someone has helped present them to you or made them made them known <laughs> that they're available to you. And so I feel like kind of when we talked about like HBCUs in the past, you know, I feel like sometimes there is just more support that you might find at an honors college or university, or you might have a chance to build better relationships with faculty that might help for grad school applications. Um, so do you feel like that's also part of the reason why some kids would um, potentially look at honors programs or colleges. Absolutely. I I do want to say one thing. The word perks is the bane of my existence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, there's sort of two kinds of ways that uh, honors recruiters recruit for honors programs and colleges. (laughs) One is called the perk model and the other is called the expectations model. And, (laughs) you know, when, you know, come to my honors program. We have priority registration. We have better housing. We have smaller classes. You know, you see where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, my personal professional philosophy, that attracts a certain type of student who's looking yep. for what's in it for me. Yes. What, what, what I would say your better honors colleges and, and your, your listeners should, should be attuned to this when they're visiting honors colleges and programs. You want an honors college that says, you know, we're looking for young people who have these kind of expectations. They want to be leaders in their field. They want to be agents of change in their community. They want to be international global citizens. They want to create new knowledge, not just consume it. And oh yeah, to help you do that, we're going to provide you extra resources, extra advising, a residence hall that's full of incredible eclectic students just like you. And so you can get that schedule that allows you to spend your afternoons researching in a lab or volunteering at your favorite, you know, philanthropic um, or, or doing whatever value added. We're going to give you priority registration, which allows you to have that schedule that allows you to attain the things that you've told us you want to attain over the four years in our honors college. Does that I'm, make sense? I'm actually I'm glad you you uh, basically uh, outlined it like that. And the reason why I've hired hundreds of engineers and scientists, and it has never, ever come into play when I look at an application, whether they've attended an honors college or not. However, what I do look for is what can you do? And I think the way that you outlined it is if you have an opportunity in an honors, uh, in an honors college or honors program, to be exposed to the highest level education, and like you say, maybe a global um, exposure as well, um, you're just going to be better prepared and better able to do the information and and, and do the the job that maybe you're require you're being um, you're applying for. And I, I think your your point is if if you're better prepared as an undergraduate. You can do that in the regular college, but you have a much higher chance of getting that type of of, uh, experience at an honors college. I I think you're right on. I would say there's nothing magical about just graduating from a university with participation in your Mm -hmm. honors program or college. Mm -hmm. There's nothing magical about that. It's what you do while you're there. I, I like to paraphrase the old adage. You get out of your honors program college experience what you put into your honors program college experience. If you take advantage of those opportunities like priority registration, which is, you know, a, a common advantage of being in a college, in an honors program or college, what you what priority registration allows you to do is pick the most interesting, inspirational faculty to put a schedule together that now all of a sudden maybe you can double major or you can pick up a data, you know, data analysis um, minor or a second language something that you couldn't have done if you were fighting with 25,000 other students at a large public institution to try to get the courses that you need. You know, additionally, you know, the the smaller classes of honors allows you to work with professors in a way that you can't in a larger educational environment. And that allows the professor to write a a better, more personalized letter of recommendation. Uh, I've I've taught Uh classes with 500 students in it and they did very well in my class, but I had no idea, you know, what they did other than (laughs) they took my class and got an A. But you teach a 20 student seminar. I I teach international security and international politics. You know, you teach a a 20 person seminar on the future U.S.-China relations and you can give personalized examples of that student's research and, you know, conversation in class and what they brought and kind of penetrating questions 
that's a much stronger letter of recommendation than you can uh, by being in a, in a larger in, in a larger class. So that's one of the advantages of being in the honor, in an honors program or college. So one one of the things, that, and you, I, I would like you to poke holes in my uh, in my uh, kind of uh, broad brush. Uh, definition and the the qualities of reasons for attending a particular uh, honors college. Um, a lot of students, I will suggest um, Arizona State University and their Barrett um, Honors College. And basically, I'll tell them, you have the chance of attending a huge university with a huge amount of classes available to you. However, if you get into the honors program, it's a 6,000 person college. You have the chance to actually talk with your professors. They will actually be able to educate you in the way that they would like to. And you build those relationships that turn out for uh, later references later. And those are the main things that I focus on, but I don't want to highlight those as perks now, because as you mentioned, that's not probably the best way to um, promote um, the opportunities. So those are the things I focus on would you suggest that there are other things that I tell students to focus on? No, I think you're right on. And Barrett is one of the top honors colleges in the country. Um, the one thing we always have to watch out for in honors is because honors students have unique, specialized, enhanced opportunities, aka they may be called perks, um, you can get an entitlement culture that develops uh -huh. that it's more mm. about being in the honors college. I am a Barrett scholar or a Schreier scholar if you're at Penn State in the Schreier Honors College or a Mahurin scholar here at yep. Western Kentucky University. And you've got to make sure that you keep them grounded. And again, I've been to Barrett. I love Barrett. I've borrowed a lot of ideas from Barrett. It's a great honors college. But I would say the literature, if there is a critique on Barrett or, or two critiques, one, because they're really truly a, a separate yeah. campus away from the rest of ASU, that they may be a little insular and are they interacting with the general population of students? And I don't want to say that Barrett's not diverse, but typically honors colleges aren't as diverse and maybe socioeconomics and other types mm. of diversity as the greater university. The, the second thing, and, and I've had a number of students uh, who have gone to Barrett and it just wasn't a good fit for them and they ended up transferring and coming back. I should say Kentucky students going out to Barrett wasn't a good fit and coming back to the Mahiran Honors College is uh, for a lot of students, 6,000 students is a lot. By Carnegie classification, you're a medium-sized university if you're between, I think it's like four and 9,000 students. Right. So, uh, you know, and the uh, Honors College of Alabama, I think is north of 8,000. Those are, you know, even though they're Honors Colleges and they're smaller colleges within a university. Those are still quite large, yeah. you know, by 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 many by many factors. So uh, I would say I always come down to you know, Mahurin may not be the best place for you. You've got to figure out what is the best fit for you and your family. Fit always trumps scholarship. Fit always trumps prestige and name recognition. Okay. If you're not comfortable at an institution, mm -hmm. then you're not going to do well at that institution. No. So let's talk a little bit about like the qualities maybe a student might want to have to that would be best to thrive in an honors college or program and knowing that that varies. So, for example, I know I was listening to an info session for um, UMass Amherst and they were talking about theirs and how, you know, beyond just grades and scores, they were looking for kids that really demonstrated that they had put into action um, kids that, you know, took their intellectual interests and put them into action is what they'd said. So what are some qualities do you think that, you know, honors college or programs would value from students? We want to see that they've, they've done more than just taken classes and gotten grades. Um, you know, I, I used the expression earlier, there's, you know, knowledge consumers and there's knowledge producers. And what we really see in, in honors colleges, we're trying to move people from K through 12, where they've just consumed knowledge. In college, we try to transition them. In the honors college, we really try to turn them into producers of new knowledge. Um, another phrase we use a lot, do they think thoughts and do cool things? <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, uh, you know, 
again, I don't want to be hard on, on, on a category of honor students, but they tend to be trophy, trophy hunters. Yep. Um, they were in mm. 25 clubs in high school. We would call those a clubber. And you ask them, what did you do in club number 17? And you lift off the name there. I was in that. Oh yeah, yeah I guess they did. Get it. <laughs> you know, Oh, you were president of this club. What did you do as president? Oh, I ran and was elected. You know, that's not what an honors college is really looking for. An honors college is looking for, you know, maybe you were in a couple organizations, but you were, again, I'll use the phrase agent of change. You made a difference. Um, I do a lot of um, this past year because of the pandemic, a lot of conversations with groups of families and, and, and talking to high schools on, you know, how to how to put together an application during COVID when you can't get out in the community and do the sorts of things normal juniors and seniors would do. And I'd say, well, what an honors college would look like is how did you take advantage of this, you know, of the opportunities that Zoom um, presented? You can still do, if you are, you know, a person of faith, you could still do a Bible study, you know, um, you know, or, or teaching a, a, um, um, you know, a Sunday school class at your church, but you do it by Zoom. You could work with a local high school and do a reading or elementary or middle school and do a reading group over Zoom and help, you know, tutor people. There's things that you can do. We're looking for those people who are creative and coming up with those kinds of opportunities that no matter what the circumstances, they're going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, you know, um, in our application, if I can give this as an example, we ask them, we don't ask this question every year, but periodically describe yourself in a tweet or what does page 267 of your biography say? <laughs> and, and if any of your people, you know, any of your listeners end up applying, you know, the right answer is always the likelihood that page 276, whatever number I gave, uh, <laughs> it usually will start in the middle of a sentence not at the start of a sentence. Oh, oh. nice. And, and, you know, we get some really great essays that way. And, and again, I would say that to your listeners that the questions that you're asked in the ampl- application tells you something about the culture of the institution you're applying for. You know, we have a, a leadership portfolio that they fill out. And, you know, what did they do? What was their role? How many hours a week? And what did they learn? And for us, you know, sometimes, again, I'm sure this is across the United States, we may have families applying where the, the, the son or the daughter was not able to do any sorts of leadership opportunities because they're working 30 hours a week to put help mom and dad or help typically a single parent family put food on the table or they're taking care of siblings while a parent is working the night shift. And to us, that's just as important as the student who is a president of three organizations, you know, pres- or a captain of the football team or the soccer team or whatever. And, and, and we think that that speaks to our culture in the college. Yeah. So those are the yeah. sort of things that I would say that, and I know I'm being a bit biased here, that I think good honors colleges will be looking for more than just grades and, 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 you know, numerical scores. One of the things I think, I, and, and that I think goes out to all students, what they can take away from um, the conversation, uh, you know, be an active participant, be a self-driven learner, be curious. And I, I think no matter if you're trying to get into college or get into an honors program, that's definitely the way to approach your education and it will make you shine brightly. Now you've got me thinking about, you know, that, Page two hundred and thirty. What do you want to write? Yeah, that's a good exercise. And, and I'm sure you've and I, actually, because I listen to your podcast all the time. I know you guys have said this, but um, building a relationship with the college. Um, uh, if, if you ever follow any of my social media, I get a lot of thank you notes from families after they visited and did a VIP prospective tour with us. And every single one of them, I take a picture of. And I give them a shout out on my social media. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that we try to build within sort of it's not part of our formal curriculum is the building of gratitude. So, mm. you know, when we're looking, if we admit 300, we're, we're capped at 300 students in each incoming class, 300 first year students. So if we're hypothetically deciding between number 300 and number 301 and they're identical, yeah. that student who has sent us a thank you card nine out of 10 times is going to get the nod. I love that you said that the niceness factor, the gratitude, yes. Yes. you know, character, 
That's really important. Uh, you know, in, in the part of the country that I live in, you know, you hear the expression to those much as given, much as expected. And yet an honor student at a public institution is getting a, you know, a much more expensive education. They're getting a higher, you know, or more often a more robust scholarship, uh, a better student to faculty ratio, more advisors and, you know, mentors. And this, so they're being given much. So we expect that they understand that, appreciate, appreciate that. And how do they give back to the communities that have uh, have made this opportunity for them possible? I, I'm so glad you said that, Craig, because uh, I think with uh, there's a new prompt this year that, mm-hmm. um, for the essay that for a common app that is on gratitude. And yes. I'm, I'm actually one of the few times I, I, I applaud uh, our, our college board and and in making a change that actually I think is very timely and needed. So that gratitude piece, and I'm glad you mentioned the, because I, I ask, I, I tell students that uh, colleges actually have a record of your, you know, communication with them, and they do look for niceness. And we talked about, you know, thank you letters, that they are a real thing. And if you haven't learned how to practice, if you have to practice them and learn how to do them, it's something that it really does make a difference. I, I am so thrilled to hear that the Common App is finally catching up to the, the, the honors colleges. Uh, and, and also, I have a bulletin board outside my office that we, we change out every year. And it usually gets about 200 thank you notes. And, uh-huh. that, and, that's, that, and that's, that's wonderful. That's something I show all prospective families as they come in to meet with me, that expectation isn't the right word because, you know, we don't expect it. But we try to have a culture of that because that is something that will serve them for the rest of their lives. You know, part of me, what wonder when this is going to be just sounds so cynical, but why they added that uh, prompt in the common app is if they were really um, just had a rough season or reading really sad essays this past season and, you know, <laughs> wanted to see if there were some really lifting ones for this upcoming season. That's but, a pretty good hypothesis. But, you know, regardless, I think it's an amazing prompt. I think gratitude is an amazing quality. And it made me think of something, you know, your essays and everything. We haven't actually talked about the application process yet for um, honors colleges and honors programs. And I know, like, in my home state of New Jersey, there is no separate application, um, much to every parents like what uh you just have to wait and they will just pick them i'm like yeah you'll get the invitation if you qualify um but there's also other ones like schreyer which has like eight to ten essays so what would you think is um what are good ways for students to prepare if they are serious about applying for honors colleges or honors programs um, you know, some of it is just going to be the availability of their time. You, you know how stressed out families get, you know, yeah. during their application season. And they may say, I just don't have the bandwidths to do an additional eight to 10 essays. Uh, I'm, I'm going to apply to the university. And if I get into the honors college, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but they, they should take, they should see it, take it as seriously as they would applying to a high-end private liberal arts school because the applications are treated the same way. Okay. Um, if, I, if I can tell this story, and I obviously won't use names, but I had a family that was a significant donor to the university and their child did not get into the uh, here in Honors College. And, you know, I got a call, as you can oh, imagine. No. And, and, and I, I, you know, basically said, well, let me, let me just give you this piece of, of, of data. The average application, you know, as we look, is about eight pages. And it's not all writing, you know, there's personal data in it, your child's application was three and a half. Mm-hmm. That tells you something. And, 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 and the father was very honest. And he said, well, if we would have known it was so competitive, we would have taken, taken it more seriously. And I couldn't say what I was thinking, but I was like, well, first of all, it shouldn't be we are taking it seriously. It should be your child is taking it seriously. But, you know, their thought was, you know, this is the local public universities, honors college, it can't be that competitive. And we're going to put our efforts into these other applications that they perceived were more prestigious and, and, and more competitive. And it came back and bit them in, in the backside. And I love that you brought that up too, because I do think people that think that as long as they donate large sums of money, <laughs> that their child will get in. And I don't think that's been the case for a while now, yeah. or maybe they didn't donate enough. I'm not sure. 
Well, what's the quote from Pretty Woman? I, I, I think it's big mistake. Big. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yes. So I don't know if I answered your question, Anna. Would you, you want to send it by me one more time or, or are you comfortable with what I said? No, no, I think that was very helpful because, you know, I think the materials do vary. But And you did touch upon, I guess, some of the soft qualities. Um, but basically, you're saying, like, you would prepare for it just as you would any other um, competitive university. Yeah, I would say I would, I would say one more thing. And, and, I, and, and uh, I don't think this is controversial, but I believe honors colleges, the, 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 you know, the really good ones, we have been ahead of the curve in sort of test blind, um, like the Mahir and Honors College, we've been test blind for probably six years now. Um, and the university requires an ACT or SAT because of the scholarship process, but we don't look at it until actually the end of the um, end of the application when we've picked our 300. We go through and look at the, um, the sub scores that were an ACT state. Um, and we look at someone who may have some low scores in English where they may have some writing challenges. And, and what we'll do is we'll work with them and assign them a, a writing mentor because you know, it doesn't do us any good to admit someone who's going to struggle and maybe not succeed. So um, uh, increasingly honors programs and college or colleges and some programs um, are again, ahead of the curve in terms of not using um, standardized test scores. One question, I, and I have to ask this just basically because uh, money becomes a very big issue now, especially uh, as students are comparing uh, honors colleges with the possibility of going to a smaller, smaller private college, and that's cost. Is there any additional cost to a student who is accepted to and attends um, an honors college, or is there even a chance that they'll pay less? Well, that's a, that's a multifaceted question. So let me try to try to handle it this way. One, because they're going to do well in the university scholarship process, okay. they're, you know, they're going to get a good scholarship if they're competitive for an honors college. So in that regard, they're, they're going to pay net less than what the, 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 the sticker price is for that university. Okay. Um, we all know that public education in the United States is the funding for it has gone downhill dramatically mm -hmm. over the last 20, 25 years. And all public institutions are looking for new revenue sources. And as I alluded to earlier, honors colleges and honors programs per student are much more expensive. And in sometimes, maybe not as expensive as a varsity D1 athlete, but can get up in that direction. So a lot of, um, uh, I want to be careful, I would say the more developed honors colleges have created uh, fees, uh, administrative fees, academic fees. And here in Honors College has one. Um, and they range anywhere from, uh, I want to say, like north of $4,000. I believe it's the Clark Honors College out west. In Oregon. In Oregon, yes. Yep. Thanks for reminding me. Um, I believe Barrett is uh, $1,500 a year, maybe closer to $2,000 a year. Yep. Um, and um, so there can be some additional costs. But again, for what you're getting, if it's a good Honors College, and I'll leave Western Kentucky University, we're probably about $400 a year in addition, in additional costs. Um, and one other, one other possible additional cost is, as, as we've talked about, oftentimes honors college students have access to the newest or however you want to define the best residence hall on campus. And residence halls are often priced upon how good they are. The best residence halls on campus, the newest ones have a higher cost than the older ones with less amenities. So being in honors may have some additional costs there just because of the residence hall. But still, you know, if I can use the example I gave earlier, if you have a, you're comparing an honors experience at a public institution that's $25,000 a year, and you got to pay an extra $2,000 a year, you compare that to a private liberal arts school that's going to cost you $50,000 $55,000, that extra $2,000 is an incredibly good bargain. It's a return on investment. ROI, our good friend, mm -hmm. Roy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things with uh, honors programs that I think um, students would like to know, I, and, and you mentioned, you alluded to this, 
And I just want to make sure I, get, I understand it correctly. You said that a university may pay as much for an honors student in, in supporting them at their, at their university as they do for, say, like a D1 athlete. Is that is that true? I mean, the the amount of money that the university is is support, using to support that student are they is that similar in in dollars? Yeah, you know, when I say D one, most people think about top ten academic or top ten athletic programs, but there's a lot of D one universities. Right. Um, uh, Western Kentucky yeah. University is a D one athletic program. So, you know, what do D one athletes get? They get uh, you know additional coaches. What do honor students get? They get additional advisors. Uh, mentors, life coaches, um, you know, when you're recruiting an athlete, there's a coach that their only job, his or her job is only to recruit the athlete. In in well-developed honors colleges, I have my own recruiting team, you know, that we recruit completely separate than the university. D1 athletes often get some of the best residence halls on campus. Honor students get some of the best residence halls on campus. It, you know, um, athletic facilities are really impressive. Honors facilities are really impressive. You, you, you kind of see where I'm going. Yep. That mm-hmm. the, um, when you when you look at the um, the the economics of a, a gen ed, let's say a gen ed biology class, you know, your basic biology class at a pub, large public university, that may be 500, 800, 1,000 students with one professor and a couple of TAs. <laughs> that that honors stu- that honors section. It may be the same professor, but it may have 30 students. 30 students. So you've got 500 students paying the salary of that professor, or you got 30 students paying the salary of that professor. So the honors course is dramatically more expensive to the university than mm. is the, you know, uh, and, you know, same with athletes. They, they tend to have academic support wrap around. Um, so there's just, a you know, the level of support and, and, uh, and wrap around uh, advising and things like that in, for an honor student is dramatically more than what it is for a non-honor student, non-athlete. I think I think you illustrated that perfectly. And basically, if if a student you know looks at the sticker price of an honor program or honors college as two thousand dollars, and all of the things that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, that. <laughs> That's a really good return on investment. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. You're right there. Agreed. I, I look forward to seeing both your applications here in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Gosh, I, I I honestly I wish there were more more people talked about them. When I was applying for school, I didn't even know that there were any, and that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, but your alma mater has got some really good departmental honors programs, and we didn't really talk about departmental honors programs. And and we can definitely, um, yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about like as much about like individual programs because I know at the different colleges it varies. Um, Mark, did you have any you wanted to ask that were specific? Because absolutely, I think you had asked about STEM. Yeah, the one the one question uh, regarding uh, honors colleges and here I'll use the University of Washington uh, as an example they have different honors programs within each some of the individual schools so there's an engineering honors program there's even an interdisciplinary honors program within the honors college and I, I is that something that um, I, I know since you've been building your program is that something that you, think is a good thing? Or do you think it actually deters from uh, the university being able to serve students specifically? I think anytime we have greater diversity and opportunities, that's a positive. And and it it may make it more challenging for the consumer being the families to to figure out what's best for them. And, you know, because there are departmental level honors. So you can have a uh, the history department's honors program, the engineer, you know, mm-hmm. mechanical engineering department's honors programs. And those tend to be, and broad brushing again, those tend to be sort of the last two years you do research with a faculty member and you write a departmental or disciplinary thesis. Um, then a college, like the College of Engineering with, within University of Washington, they can have a college level uh, honors program. And you see this engineering colleges do it a lot. And so do business colleges where they sort of have a mm-hmm. core, a core curriculum that all business students have to take and all engineers have to take. Yep. And the honors program is within that core. And then they do something at the departmental level in their last two years. 
Does that make sense? Exactly. And that's one of the things that I think students should look for as they're, you know, researching their, their honors um, opportunities. Yeah. And it's how, how much of an honors experience they want. You know, exactly. most <laughs> colleges are four years. You know, um, ours is unabashedly a four-year living learning community. And a lot of um, universities will have a honors program living learning community that lasts one semester. You know, the engineering honors living learning community. And after one semester, you're still just living together. And then the second year, everybody goes their own direction. Got it. Um, one of the, uh, I don't know if criticism is the right word, but a lot of times in these departmental honors programs, even if they are four years, um, you know, as a faculty member myself, we as a discipline tend to think about our discipline above all. So we want only political science students living together, you know, only political science students coming to our social events. And we want our community to be only political science. Well, in honors, I would say honors colleges, university-wide honors, we tend to think about the value of honors as interdisciplinary. So in the residence hall, you have the really talented poet across the hall from the engineer who has as a roommate, a nursing student. And those kind of interdisciplinary conversations, we think are incredibly valuable to break down silos and, and get people to think across disciplines because that's where the real solution real solutions to today's problems lie. That's where the magic is. That's where the magic is. And I think that's so great to say that because I do feel like more and more students are interested in interdisciplinary opportunities. And so this is another avenue that they can consider. Agreed. So we're wrapping up, but I wanted to see, and you can have one question too, Mark. <laughs> what is like one of your favorite, I guess, quote unquote, anecdotes or stories from, from working in honors programs? Yeah, certainly. It's actually a young man. He's an alum now. I had lunch with him last week. Um, he, he from Bowling Green, a single parent family, uh, grew up in our public housing. Um, I, I met him as a senior, uh, actually his football coach. He played the uh, left guard on the state football, um, state championship football team. And uh, I sort of got to know him and adopted him. And uh, if you look at, uh, you know, national stats, he probably had about a 7% chance of graduating from college with his background. And, um, you know, we talked about his big dreams. Um, I said, I, you know, I, I can give you some suggestions on things you should do. And if you want, I can play an accountability partner. And uh, he uh, got a Benjamin Gilman scholarship, which is a nationally competitive scholarship for students on Pell Grants to study abroad. He studied abroad in um, uh, Japan, fell in Ooh. love with Japan. And when I met him, he was probably 6'4 and weighed about 270. So you can imagine how he stuck out uh, <laughs> on campus in Japan and uh, came back and he said, you know, Dr. C, I'm changing my, my big dream. My big dream is I want to be the ambassador to Japan. Wow. And wow. Uh, so I said, okay, what's the plan we need to put together? And he goes, I need to improve my Japanese. I need to get a job in the State Department. And I said, okay, let's, how do you, how do you plan that? And it's always me sending them away with think about these things and come back. And, and then I play devil's advocate. Agreed. And he found a, a nationally competitive opportunity called the Wrangell, um, Wrangell program named after the former U S congressman. Uh, and he got into their summer program and it's a program to diversify foreign service officers. So he spent a summer out in uh, Washington, DC and um, he is just finished. And then he, reapplied for the Wrangell Fellowship, and he got the Wrangell Fellowship, and he got a Fulbright. So he got to go back to Japan for a full year and continue wow. the research he had done on his honors thesis. Um, and he came back, he was back in Bowling Green for a week before he went to Georgetown, and he gets a fully funded two years at Georgetown. And then he's guaranteed a position with the Foreign Service. Um, and he's just completed his first year um, uh, at Georgetown. He's done very well. And he is doing a virtual, unfortunately, virtual internship with the uh, U.S. Uh, embassy in, uh, in uh, Taiwan. Wow. And that's, that's, you know, every faculty member, every honors director's dream is to, is to <laughs> yes. get someone from, <laughs> yes. that, from that circumstance and put them on that kind of trajectory. And I could literally probably tell you over my 15 years, 100 plus of those kind of stories. See, and um, those are the opportunities that if you take the application seriously... <laughs> they can open those doors. I like yeah. that. And, and, and that's a student who his family was never thinking a, a, a small private liberal arts school or an elite institution or a flagship institution. You know, they were just 
you know, first generation student, you know, single parent family, you know, could he just go to college? And as a success for that family would have been graduating in five years. And, you know, he... That also circles back on exactly what you said you look for in applicants, though. He is a self-driven, curious learner. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he, he went out and got those. Yeah. He, he looked for those opportunities and then seized them. So I think in, in, from, from your standpoint, this was a win when you accepted him into the program, for sure. Now, the one detail I, I, I didn't say, the reason I mentioned the football, is I heard from his coach. His coach said this student was the most coachable athlete he's ever had in his career. Ah. And that's the sort of, you know, for us in the most positive ways that sets off all kinds of great alarms. If a, if a young person is coachable, you can do amazing things. And that's the sort of things we look for in letters of recommendation. You know, yeah, of course, don't tell us they got great grades. We have the transcript. (laughs) Tell us something we don't know. Tell us something that's meaningful and that someone is guidable, that's willing to be mentored. You know, those, you know, the special qualities that you can't see on a resume, an application or a transcript, that's, that, that's, that's what, if guidance counselors are listening, that's the things we, we want to see in a letter. Yes. All those guidance counselors listening, there's the piece. So okay. I, have, I have one last question and that is, is it true that uh, at honors colleges, they have a special menu to better food? That is not true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure I couldn't pitch that anymore. <laughs> now, um, now uh, there are some honors colleges that have their own. I, I know it's an outdated term, but cafeteria or food courts. Um, oh. I, I think I think actually Barrett does. Um, oh. um, uh, there, theirs is actually a, um, modeled on Hogwarts. If you've ever been to it, it it's yep. really really an amazing facility. Um, if a university has a really good um, school of, uh, uh, you know, cooking or, 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 you know, culinary school, culinary school. Uh, a lot of times, you know, um, honor students can get access to that. Oh, also, that's cool. Also, if, you know, because you get to know your professors better, you know, because of smaller classes, you're more likely to be invited to the faculty club as a guest of your professor. Well, there you go. So there is possibilities, but there's no uh, general rule that honor students get uh, get better better cooking. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Craig. This was such a joy, and I learned so much. I'm sure well, everybody did. Thank you. You're very kind. It was uh, my, my blessing. It was high point of my day. Thank you, Craig. And I know this is something that you take to heart and that you promoted for much of your career. So I I, I appreciate taking the time and and outlining all the things that you have promoted uh, there at your own honors college. Well, again, thank you and keep doing great work. Same to you. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.